Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. I'm not sure how you feel about philosophy or theory, but you have to admit that there are people out there who do have strong opinions about both. And as someone who's working on a PhD in organizational leadership, those things play an important part in my life. At the same time, I realize that theory and philosophy really aren't that helpful unless you can make them practical, unless you can turn them into actionable steps. And today we're hearing from someone who has developed what he calls an in-depth operating system, not something that is primarily theory-based or philosophy-based, but an in-depth operating system that's focused on helping organizations by connecting culture, strategy, and execution. We're going to hear a little bit more about him in just a second, but first... Do you want to accelerate your leadership success? There's a way you can do that for free, and it's called the MindScan. This assessment is an inventory based on the Nobel-nominated Hartman Value Profile, and it measures your capacity to make value judgments concerning you and the world around you. Instead of simply understanding how you behave, it objectively measures why you behave the way you do. Align your thinking strengths with your leadership goals by applying to take the MindScan today. All you need to do is apply by emailing community at lifeasleadership.com. You'll get a unique link and the opportunity to review your results. Both the assessment and review call are totally free. If you want to understand the how and why of your decision making, in order to more quickly get the results you want, the MindScan can be your next step to success. Once again, community at lifeasleadership.com. Now, on to today's interview. Our guest today is an international strategy and leadership consultant who believes that businesses have the ability and responsibility to substantially impact communities through their products and people. With this in mind, he created the blendification system, which activates potential by connecting culture, strategy, and execution. The blendification system is documented in the book by the same name and is delivered through a series of online and face-to-face workshops. Our guest serves as CEO of Fusion Dynamics Group, a Colorado-based strategy and leadership firm. Here is Dan Bruder. Dan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Josh. Glad to be here. So I'd like to start off every single interview with a few questions that help us to get to know you better as a leader and give us some insight for our own lives. So you ready for these? Sure, sure. What is some lesson, saying, or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? Well, there's this concept I learned from um, a colonel in the U.S. Air Force named Gary Payton, and uh, he introduced me to a concept called uh, earned success. And um I didn't realize it at the time, but when I heard that, it made me stop and think about what we really are trying to accomplish in life and how do we actually achieve this this target or this moving target called joy or fulfillment or happiness. And earned success um, is really the belief that people through their life experience the greatest sense of happiness, fulfillment, and joy by accomplishing things that are hard. 
um, things that maybe we thought we couldn't achieve and we worked hard and we may have even surprised ourselves to achieve it. But when we look back on life and we say, here, I'm really, really proud of this. It was hard and I still succeeded. And that's this idea of earning your success versus being, you know, having your success um, kind of willed to you or something like that. It also flies in the face of how we lead today, by the way, too. We, we, we tend to want to make everything easy for our people, for the people that work for us. But if we apply this principle of earned success, what we actually do is we challenge our people and they respect us for that. When we know that we want for people to be happy, fulfilled and achieve what we call joy, we actually give them the opportunity to try things and even fail at things. But as leaders, we should be really instilling some level of earned success or challenges to our people. But, um, you know, a lot of cases we're going, hey, do this, do this, do that. It's going to be really easy and you won't have to work late tonight. And then they find out that over the period of few years, people leave because they're not fulfilled in their job. Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is? I would say a leader is confident and humble at the same time. They are aware of the systematic impacts of their actions and behaviors. And three, I would say um, leaders need to take responsibility for the impact that their business has on their employees, their customers, and their communities. What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others? I think leaders should be looking at how can I as a leader be the spark that activates the potential in the people that are around me. And I view that everybody has some level of spark of greatness inside of them, and it's up to a leader to really ignite that spark. So if I could get every leader to be asking themselves is how do I become that spark um, that activates someone else's potential? What is a book that you would recommend to leaders? Uh, a couple books. Um, one uh, that kind of sticks out is The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. Uh, that's a pretty popular book, but I also like Conscious Capitalism by John Mackey, the founder of Whole Foods. Um, two, two interesting books that work together pretty nicely. If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would that thing be? If we want to become better in life and better influencing people, we have to first understand that what we focus on is really driving our actions and behaviors. Um, sometimes people think that, you know, hey, I feel like doing this or I feel like doing that. And the truth is, is they're really focusing on something that directs their behavior. If we can really dial in on what our focus is individually and then collectively as a group, and then I say, is, is our focus actually driving us to something that is significant? Because if we start with our focus, then our actions and behaviors will follow. And then ultimately, we'll actually achieve something that's worthwhile over time. We should really be leading our focus as opposed to allowing our feelings to lead us. And now we have our final arbitrary but insightful question, which is this. As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? Well, that's interesting. Um, when, we, when we talk about why and the way that I interpret why is I, I would say that it would be asking why is more significant or more important because it kind of goes back to focus. If we really know why we're going to do something, and we know Simon Sinek has popularized this, the, knowing our why, knowing what we're going what, what we're going to do and why we're going to do something is more compelling than asking ourselves why not. To me, why then allows us to focus on something 
And then we can start building actions, behaviors, and including others in this. It's much more motivating for us. And um, when I ask this question, why not? It almost feels a little bit like, well, why not? Let's go ahead and try and see if it works. But why is much more compelling, much more foundational to me anyway, when I say if it, why I want to do something is much more compelling than why wouldn't I do something? And Dan, today we're going to be talking about some foundational elements. You have a book that's just come out and a whole system connected to the book. And your book is called The Blendification System, Activating Potential by Connecting Culture, Strategy, and Execution. And those three things are key. Could you share a little bit about the book and your vision for this book and all of your work that's connected with it? Yeah, I think the vision for the book is that um, if we look back at our country, what this this country was founded on, it was really using business companies as a tool to build a better society. If you really think about it, what is business's role on earth? Business's role is to is to fulfill needs of consumers and society. One of the things that we look at within business is that we need this thing called fuel in order to operate our business and the fuel comes from cash flow and profit. So we definitely need that, but the true intent of business is to make a positive impact for our stakeholders, our employees, our customers, and community. So when I took on this um, several years ago, I started looking at how do we create a system that builds better companies that positively impact our employees, customers, and communities. And, um, you know, it's beyond a book because I use this in my teaching as well, and it kind of it came together in both my practice and teaching with the desire to say, you know, when we, I want to put something together that is not only philosophically interesting and motivating, but also foundational in terms of a, a specific process for people to follow. Because it's one thing, Josh, for me to say, companies need to be socially responsible. Well, yeah, of course. Um, the question, the hard thing is, is so, so what does that mean and how do we do that so that we can still continue to honor our shareholders? So um, I didn't want to stop with the philosophical side. So um, fortunately, I had to, one, take this in the business and, two, take this in the classrooms. So as I started building this out, it wasn't about having a philosophical conversation. It was really about building a systematic process with, you know, checklists and worksheets that said this is how we actually create a company that blends together culture, strategy, and execution. Because what I've seen over my career now is that companies, um, of course, every company has a culture, right? But their culture isn't always designed in a way that maximizes our potential. It could be a fun culture. It could be, you know, a hardcore work, you know, crazy hours culture. But do we really acknowledge our culture and design our culture around what we want to accomplish within our company? Most companies have a strategy, you know, they go off and they do their annual strategy retreat. And um, it's kind of like this uh, a veil. They, they go out there and don't really nothing ever really kind of transmits to the rest of the company. So they, they have culture, they have strategy. But I thought as we work through this, the companies that I saw that were most successful, they actually intentionally designed their culture so that their strategy could be the business plan that allows them to pursue something specific, something, you know, special. And then they create an execution model around this. Literally, basically, here's how we run our meetings. Here's what we talk about along with our strategy so that we can reach our potential as an organization. So, um, you know, the background of the book and the, the concept was really about how do we take companies 
and give them a motivating, motivating systematic process to make a significant change within their people and within their communities. Um, it's a, it's kind of a big ask, but I didn't see any book or any process out there that really took this head on and said, how do we build something to allow companies to be exactly what they're supposed to be? They're supposed to be the answer to society's problems, not society's problems. And if we change our, our focus as leaders and say our business, me as a leader, the people around me are here to solve problems. And by doing that, we're going to be fairly compensated. I'm all for that. So that's really where the, the whole process came together is how do we actually create a blended company, you know, blending culture, strategy and execution, but also blending our companies back into society rather than having them be a target for society to say this is corrupt and this is bad. We want to be the, the, the reasons we want to be the ones that actually change things because most people do work, you know, and they have jobs. And why not take that time to make a positive impact on society? And then our reward for that is financial outcomes. And I would love some examples, whether they're companies that you work with and you don't necessarily need to name names or organizations that other people might know about at a larger, more national level who do this well of being the answer to society's problems rather than being society's problems. Yeah, I think it's a mindset and, and this can go all the way. Um, you know, we can look at companies like Whole Foods, Patagonia, um, Southwest Airlines, all companies that come together and, and sure there's a profit motive in there, but they come together, they bring people together and there's a, there's a greater cause because, you know, most people in companies aren't owners. Most employees aren't owners in companies. So we, we want to create an ownership mentality. But the fact is, is that most employees aren't owners or they have a you know very small share of stock. It's not really moving the needle. But going back to that earned success thing, if we believe that people want to accomplish something big, we want to make sure that they have that opportunity to do that in our companies. So we can look at, you know, like I said, Whole Foods, Patagonia, those companies, there's some small companies, um, you know, even that I've worked with here. There's one called American Data Bank. That's, uh, you know, about a 200 person company. And um, the CEO is actually of, uh, from Japan and he's been here and he completely embraces what we can do with the power of our companies here. Um, it, it's really interesting to see people that come here from other countries and go, wow, there's tremendous opportunity. And what he's been able to accomplish through the, his employees over the years by instilling a really strong culture strategy and then an execution model that goes along with it, he's been able to change the lives. Um, most of his employees are less than college educated and their, their loyalty, and I've been working with this company for years, the loyalty within that company is tremendous. When the COVID hit, they came back, they all got together and they've built this culture where they just, they read and react. They're constantly agile as things outside happen. They're constantly changing because they know what it is they want to accomplish. You know, going back to your question about why they know why they're doing things. And, you know, just a small company of that size has done tremendous things. There's a, there's another company called Encore Electric that I've done some work with too. And they've really put things together there where they believe that their culture and their impact on their people and their society is more important than anything they do from a profit perspective. Now, because of that, ironically, they actually have a tremendous amount of profit and they do very, very well in the top line and the bottom line. But their true motivation is having a team that really works 
on challenging their people, not making it easy for them, but challenging them so that they can achieve and realize their their potential. So those are a few examples of companies, but it's really about being intentional and leadership. You know, this is what leaders do. Leaders don't, you know, they shouldn't be filling out spreadsheets, doing things like that. They should be challenging, motivating our people to make significant impacts in the company and thereby become fulfilled through their job. If we do that, you know, leadership wise and strategically, we can make a pretty positive impact on society. Those are just a few companies that that come to mind, but there's many more out there, you know, Josh, we, we don't ever read about these companies that much, but we do read about the ones that violate what's going on and violate the, the trust that we have in companies. And it's unfortunate, but there's so many good companies out there doing some wonderful things for our communities. I just hope that someday we can get everybody, all our companies work in this way and they can get proper ado for doing it. So for those leaders who are leading small organizations or maybe are just responsible for an individual team, what would be some recommendations that you would give on a practical level to begin thinking and operating in this way? Obviously, your book is going to be a great resource for them, but any recommendations to bring about this change that you're talking about? Yeah, I think um, what we really need to do, and we can, we can compare it to delegation, but delegation is a word that's been used since the 80s, you know, and probably before then. But it, it's kind of like that is what, what we need to do at either at a company or department, um, small size, uh, large company, is create a real powerful cause within our company. Take that cause, translate that into uh, behaviors and actions, but then develop some sort of a business strategy or plan that does that. And then we, we create Groups, I call them roots groups in companies because we want to create change at the grassroots level within organizations. So what we do is we create roots groups in companies and they take this strategy and they own the implementation of it. Meaning these groups of, you know, three to eight people within a company of various different sizes, if we empower them to make the decisions and identify the strategic actions that will lead to the strategic outcomes that we're all shooting for, if we empower them, we motivate them, and we give them the opportunity to create the change that needs to take place, what we start doing is including them in more significant things. We, be, we become meaning makers within the job. So if I talk to any um, you know, leader in an organization, I, I always ask, you know, what are you doing to create the change and create the business direction at the grassroots level in your organization and so that's what we do is we actually take everything we can and put it in the hands of the people that are actually working on a day-to-day -day basis and make their jobs strategically significant so that they feel the ownership and they have the ownership to do the things that are necessary to make an impact that's consistent with what we want to do as an organization. So it's a bit of a progression. So as a leader, we should be really not delegating, which is saying you go do this, but empowering through a peer group format. And that's the other component is we don't want to just empower individuals. We want to empower peers and peer groups of peers that work together and they use the internal peer accountability model to actually align everybody and then pursue what it is that you would like them to go after within your organization. So it's a real systematic process around executing that includes everybody in an organization and or a department. It doesn't really matter what size. If we empower groups and people to hold each other accountable for common outcomes, we'll have a better opportunity for success, not only organizationally, but individually. 
On a recent episode, someone talked about abdication and delegation and the difference between the two. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. I also like what you just said about the idea of having people involved in the implementation in a meaningful way. One thing that I'm curious about is how involved people are lower down in the organization with the strategy element so that when it comes time for implementation, they really feel ownership over what they're implementing. Does that make sense? Yeah, and um, it's good. It's a good question because we run into this is we can't, obviously we can't include, you know, 5,000 people in strategy development. And uh, there are organizations that have tried, but it becomes basically just a, a whole process around people just saying things that never really get implemented. So what we need to do is really break strategy down in a way that is uh, more practical. So the way we do this um, with companies, the way that I believe is, is the most impactful and, and what I teach is with, for companies and in business is that we really need to take the word strategy and break it down into three layers. One is a, having a strategic focus. The next is having strategic outcomes. And the third is having strategic actions. And then once we have those identified, we can then identify who within an organization is really responsible for which component. All of them represent strategy, um, either at the high level from a focus perspective or at the, at the more minute level, which is actions. But clearly not everybody can be vol- involved in everything. So what we do here is um, we say, OK, from a strategic focus perspective, that's where the senior leadership team develops strategic focus around four key strategic focus areas, customer and market, product, operations and people. So at the high level, um, they develop strategic focus and then they create some level of strategic outcomes. And we, I call them strategic outcomes. People know these as um, KPIs, metrics, whatever you want to call it. I happen to call them strategic outcomes, which really means that they, these KPIs are tied to your strategic focus. So we have our executive leadership or our strategic leadership team that develops strategic focus. They develop some basic level of strategic outcomes. But then we go back to what, what the rest of the company and we incorporate others into this and they develop the strategic actions. And so what we have now is a rigid strategic focus, but agile strategic actions that are owned by various different levels of the organization. By doing this, we systematically include virtually everybody in the organization at some level of strategic outcomes or strategic results. So just to review that, because it's kind of a lot to say in one mouthful, is that we have strategic focus, outcomes, and actions, and then we divide that up within the organization so everybody has a role in the strategy. And we do this through our, our, our peer group model within organizations. So again, executives have a role, but at the same time, everybody else in the organization has a role from the strategic actions perspective, because quite frankly, who's really doing the work? We know who really does the work in the organizations. We just want to make sure that their work is strategically significant. So that's why we create this model around three levels of strategy, focus, outcomes, and actions. I appreciate that summary, and I I really do like your systematic approach. And to that end, one of the things you talk about in your book is the leadership intelligence pyramid. And you start off at the bottom level of the pyramid with cognitive intelligence, which is IQ. And then the next level, we're also familiar with, which is emotional intelligence or EQ. At the very top, you have system intelligence. And I'd like for you to speak to just the pyramid in general, but specifically the very top of the pyramid, system intelligence. Yeah, I think our, our, our eyes tend to go to the top of the pyramid, which we should, because to me, that's the, that's the highest level of leadership. 
but I don't want to discount the other two levels either, because in, in a blended world, we really need to have a high level of cognitive intelligence, IQ. We need to have also a high level of EQ, um, emotional intelligence, the ability to have empathy and relate to others. And at the top of this is what most people are unfamiliar with is system intelligence. And um, if we look at system intelligence, that is the ability to say within an organization that, you know, marketing and sales, we might have an idea in marketing and sales, but we can't do anything without our product team being aligned. And if the marketing and sales team has an idea for a new market or product, they need to definitely engage with the product team. The product team then needs to engage with the operations team. So now what we're creating is, you know, one product or one new product idea actually has a systematic impact within an organization, market, um, sales, product, operations. It also uh, impacts our culture and our people. So we really shouldn't do anything strategically in a company without looking at the systematic impact across all four of those areas, customer and market, product, operations, and people. So that's system intelligence within an organization. Lift that out for a second and say, what is system intelligence in general? That's really, what is what are my actions? What are my behaviors? The words I use, how are they impacting not only the person that I'm talking to right now, but how are they impacting the people that they are going to talk to later on? How are they impacting their peers within the workforce, um, other people in the organization? How are they going to impact their dinner conversation at night? Because I don't know about you, Josh, but I grew up, my mom was always talking about work. I, I feel like I knew everybody in her office. And so what, what happens at work tends to influence how we are at home. So our system impact is far greater than a specific conversation or a specific individual. Our systematic impact has a ripple effect to not just the person, but the department, the company. It becomes part of our culture. So if we're not aware of our systematic impact, we then start being a little bit more self-centered. But if we start thinking about how what we do impacts everybody and even taking it a step further, like I said, it impacts what happens at dinner tonight. I had a, um, a, a CEO that ran a company that was probably about 300 people. And I said to him, I said, I won't say share his name because it's not good. I said, so I bet you of those 300 people, you are the topic of conversation every single night for at least 200 of them. What do you want them to say? So we, we start seeing a, a, the, the system intelligence, meaning let's be aware of what we're saying and how we're impacting others, because there's a generational impact. There's a home impact. There's also departmental impact. So I look at that two different ways, Josh, that the top of this pyramid is if we really want to lead at the highest level, we need to have we need to blend all three of these together. We need to blend your cognitive intelligence, emotional intelligence, but also our system intelligence, which really doesn't get much mileage. But we need to really be looking at what we're, what our true impact is across the board. And that's really this leadership intelligence pyramid. And, and, and my focus is really in order to reach our potential as a leader, it's not choosing one. It's how do we maximize all three? How do we get better at all three of these? How do we become smarter? How do we become more emotionally intelligent? And how do we look at how we're impacting others? In order to reach our potential as a leader, we should be looking at this as, you know, kind of a full mix and they're all blended together rather than saying, hey, let me just become better at this because that's not the ticket to realizing our potential. Well, Dan, I appreciate you coming on the show today and sharing your insight, talking about these different types of intelligence 
and talking about the importance of culture, strategy, and execution. Before we finish today, is there anything that you would like to leave the listeners with, whether it's something that you'd like to reiterate from our discussion or something that we've not yet had a chance to talk about today? Yeah, I think, uh, I guess, maybe reiteration. I think if we, as a society, we need to be looking at a lot of different things that will help us become better as a society, because I think we could all agree right now we're at a point within the, uh, in the the growth, the development of our country and the world, for that matter, that really needs something. And, and I think let's not look as business, look at business as being something that's disrupting things in a negative way. But let's look at business and your business and everyone's business as a way to actually make an impact. And, you know, government's going to do their thing. We need we need to rely on our government. But the truth is, is most people are getting their education, their growth and their development from the businesses that they're in. So let's be really conscious of our impact on society. And then the backside of that, too, is that it's it's one thing to say that philosophically. It's another thing to say, let's build a systematic process step by step. We do this today. We do this next week. We do this next month and next year. These are the things we need to do in order to improve our impact on our employees, customers, and communities. So I think that's my real message. I, I didn't really want this to be a book that was a philosophical book that somebody goes to the beach and reads and smiles. You know, I wanted this to be a process where people say, hey, this is something we're real serious about, and there's a system to back up the philosophical conversation. And that's, that's to me, is what's most important. And your book is chock full of practical and actionable tips. I think it will be super valuable for leaders listening to this podcast who want to improve their businesses. Dan, thank you so much for joining us today. If people want to go somewhere to learn more about you and the work that you do, what is the best place for them to go? My website is blendificationsystem.com. So you can go there and that has kind of access to kind of the concept of blendification. It also has uh, some supplemental videos that mirror the book. Of course, if anybody wanted to get the book, they can get that on Amazon. It's all available there. Just Google blendification. The truth is, is that there's nobody else that uses that word. So it's pretty safe in a Google search right now. All right. Well, Dan, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. All right. Thank you very much, Josh. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Dan today. If you liked what he had to share, be sure to check out his website at blendificationsystem.com. Also, check out his book, The Blendification System, Activating Potential by Connecting Culture, Strategy, and Execution. Now, let's get to today's three key takeaways. The first key takeaway is this. The true intent of business is to make positive impact. And I like what Dan said. Businesses are supposed to be the answer to society's problems, not society's problems. And I think that's frequently the case. The question for you is, is my team, is my organization, is my business the answer to society's problems? And maybe even more pointedly, is it viewed as such? Because the truth is, if people don't perceive you as the answer to society's problems, they may end up blaming you for society's problems. The next key takeaway is the three layers of strategy. That's strategic focus, outcomes, and actions. And strategic focus and outcomes are primarily in the arena of the executive team. But be sure if you are a leader, give the opportunity for others in your organization to help in the process of developing those strategic actions because there will likely be more ownership if they are involved in that process. Also, they may have a better idea of what's happening on the ground, which you may or may not be able to see 
as effectively. And finally, we talked about three types of intelligence, cognitive intelligence, emotional intelligence, and system intelligence. And I wanted to highlight system intelligence because I think that's the area that fewest people know about. System intelligence is an awareness of how your actions influence individuals, processes, and other things like that within and beyond the organization. So how is what you're doing affecting the world around you? Being aware of that is really important, especially as a leader. Well, let's leave it at that for this week. We have another great episode coming out for you early next week. And one recommendation I would have for you, if you want to take this culture strategy and execution idea to the next level, in addition to buying Dan's book, The Blendification System, is this. Apply to take the mind scan. This is something that takes 20 minutes to complete and it's going to provide some great insight for your leadership and especially your team. If you can get an idea of the mindset and the priorities of each person on your team as well as yourself, it's going to help you develop a better culture within your team, be more strategic in how you're reaching out to your team and how you're working with your team, which will lead to better execution. So send an email to community at lifeasleadership.com. I look forward to hearing from you soon. And until then, keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist... It feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well.